Well, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Second book in the Bible, of course. Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 9. Let's go ahead and jump right on into verse 1. We're going to go ahead and read verse 1 here. So Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Now I'll pause right there because if you remember, if you were here when we studied chapter 8, And actually, if you glance back at chapter 8 and verse 1, you'll see that verse uh, 1 of chapter 8 is very, very similar to verse 1 of chapter 9 here. And when we study chapter 8, I took some time to point out to you that when the children of Israel, the Hebrews, as they are called here, when they were set free, it was then the Lord God's desire that they would then serve Him with the rest of their lives. They were set free from bondage to become servants of the Lord. And I pointed out how when we are set free from sin through faith in Jesus Christ, we too are to then become servants of the Lord God. This is the the pattern of a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman. That's the pattern that we will follow today. We get set free from sin, we turn from sin, we repent from it, and we come to the living God. And we're what the Bible calls born again, but we become servants of the Lord. So that's what I pointed out to you when we studied um, verse 1 of chapter 8. But this morning though, even though verse 1 of chapter 9, like I said, is very, very similar, I want to point something else out to you here that we see in verse uh, 1 of chapter 9. And that is that the Lord God calls Himself here the Lord God of the Hebrews. Now, this is a very clear distinction that the Lord God is making in this statement at that time. Yes, He is the God of all creation. The God that created the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve, the first humans. He is, in fact, the only true God. There is no other true God. It's not as if he's the God of the Hebrews only today as we know him. But he makes a distinction here to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And again, that distinction is that he is the Lord God of the Hebrews. You see, from the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, Ever since that time, and here's what you have to keep in mind as we go through the Bible, right? Ever since that time, God has been working out His plan for the redemption of mankind, right? To redeem us. To The, the redemption from what, though? Redemption from the power of sin and death. And in this plan of redemption, God decided that what He would do is, first of all, form a people group And then he would ultimately work through that people group to bring about the opportunity for the redemption of all of mankind. 
right? Sin separated and sin still separates mankind, you and me, from our Heavenly Father. But our Heavenly Father worked through a people group to bring about our freedom from the bondage of sin. Remember, as we study Exodus here, we are seeing a group of people being set free from their physical bondage, from slavery. But as you continue to read through the whole Bible, you will see that God's ultimate plan was to set mankind free from a spiritual bondage. And it's important that we know that and that we understand that as we read through the Bible. And it's important that we understand that in our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And God's plan for redemption of mankind started with a man named Abraham. We studied about him when we went through the book of Genesis. We saw how Abraham believed God. And we saw how Abraham's faith was what God accounted to him as righteousness. All the way back in in time, starting with Abraham, faith was the way that God provided for mankind to attain righteousness. It would be through faith. And that started all the way back with Abraham. And we know that from Abraham, as we studied through Genesis, from Abraham came Isaac, his son. From Isaac came his son Jacob, also known as Israel, right? And from Jacob, or from that man Israel, came the 12 tribes of Israel, his his 12 sons. And from those 12 tribes came this people group that God would work through to eventually redeem all of mankind. And that's what we're seeing as we go through this. So again, all that to say that God chose to work through a very specific group of people and be their God. They are referred to here in Exodus as the Hebrews. Now, the Egyptians, on the other hand, they did not serve the Lord God, the maker of all that is. But God set aside this people that would serve Him. They would not be a perfect people. As we read through the Bible and as we will understand, they're not a perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. But they are nonetheless God's people. The people through whom He would, again, ultimately bring our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to kind of go on what you might consider a little rabbit trail, but I've done that quite a bit. And we'll come back to, I mean, it'll all tie together here. But as I'm going through this topic and as I'm talking about um, God's plan of redemption and how it's through faith and such and, you know, all that, my wife brought to my attention um, that there was a a question asked in in a women's Bible study uh, in regards to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm actually going to take this opportunity here to kind of tie it in to what I'm talking to you about this morning. So let's go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 3. You'll find it in the New Testament right after the book of 2 Corinthians. good way to remember the order of this part of your Bible. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Go eat popcorn. (laughs) Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are all in order there. 
So Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of teach through pretty much this whole chapter here, but again, it'll tie into to what I'm pointing you toward this morning. But let's go ahead and, and start reading in verse 1. Galatians 3, 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Okay, so pause for just a moment here, because some very serious infraction must have been taking place here amongst the church, the the body of believers that gathered in this city of Galatia. Paul was calling them fools here and saying that they have been bewitched that they were tricked, and that they were deceived in some way. They were receiving some sort of a false teaching of some sorts, right? So what was this? Well, let's read on. Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, if you've been a a student of the Bible for a while, you'll know that the obvious answer to that question is that we receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith and not by the works of the law. So we already have some insight here, though, into what this teaching was that they were receiving that caused Paul to call them foolish for doing so. It had to do with the keeping of the law. Let's uh, keep going here, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, as we read verse 4 here, we must keep in mind that these people that were Hebrews but had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they were being persecuted for doing so. So they were going through some difficult times because they believed in Jesus Christ. They were suffering for having received Jesus Christ. But now it seems that they were compromising their stance in Christ alone and turning back to the law that once held them under a curse. Again, the curse of the law is that it proves us all as sinners because no one can keep all of the law. But let's read on, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I mentioned that earlier, didn't I? Faith was the way that God made for his people, the Hebrews, and eventually for all the people of the world to become righteous. It was going to be through faith, right? It's not the word of the law that perfects us. It's faith that perfects us in the sight of God. And more specifically, it's faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that perfects us in the sight of God. Verse 7, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, that's a very huge statement being made there in verse 7, especially as it was being said to the Jews, the Hebrews. You see, they prided themselves on the fact that they were sons of Abraham. 
But they were being told here that it's not through the keeping of the law that makes you a son of Abraham, but rather it's a life of faith that makes you a son of Abraham. Because to compare ourselves with Abraham is to say that we are people of faith because God established with Abraham the way to redemption was through faith. Okay, let's keep reading verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Okay, so here we see that the gospel message of salvation was not ever meant by God to be just for the Jews. That was not God's plan, though it did go to them first. But it was meant to be for all of mankind, whether Jew or Gentile. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that the gospel indeed was, first of all, only being preached to the Jews in the beginning. But in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, you'll find that it began to go to Gentiles as well. But verse 9 here continues and says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, you see, the problem that was then and the problem that is now as it pertains to the law, right, is that we are unable to keep all of the law. So it really doesn't matter if we keep some of the law because it is written in the book of the law that we must keep every one of the laws. There, was, there were 613 laws. And if you were to have kept 612 of them, and then broken only one of them, you would have been as guilty as if you broke all 613 of them. That's what the scripture is teaching us here and telling us here. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live, how? We live by faith. So, you see, there's not one of us nor has there ever been or ever will be a person that can be justified before God through the keeping of the law. The only way we are justified is through faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 12 says, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, how? Through faith. So again, if you're going to try to be righteous before God through the keeping of the law, you can't mess up. You better go all out, because if you mess up once, you've broken all the law. And do you see in verse 14 there where it talks about the blessing of Abraham there? The blessing of Abraham was that he was counted as righteous 
before God, not through the keeping of any laws, but rather through faith alone. And through faith alone is the way that you and I receive the promise of the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul goes on in verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. But pause right there for a minute because do you see the colon there after the word men there? A colon precedes an explanation. So the next words that Paul speaks, he's saying, he's going to give an explanation, but he's saying, I'm speaking these words in the manner of men. He says, though it is only a man's covenant, yet yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Okay, so to give an example of the example that Paul is giving giving here, I would say, you know how someone makes out a last will and testament, right? In other words, someone writes out their will as to what their wishes are upon their death for when they die. Well, once they sign the bottom line of that will, no one can add to that will. And no one can cancel or annul anything out of that will once that person has made that decision and done that. Paul is saying here, hey, this thing cannot change. Something cannot change here. And what can't change is what's written here in verse 16. He says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Okay, so we're still getting the explanation that followed the colon there. Right? And Paul is telling the Galatians that the promise made to Abraham wasn't about all the children that would come from him, but it was made regarding the Messiah that would eventually come from his line of people. And that, of course, was Jesus Christ. Yes, the Hebrews were and are the children of promise, but Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of the promise, right? God would keep his promise through that group of people. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise. And it says in verse 17, And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. So Paul is saying here, the law isn't the big deal. Faith is the big deal. The law didn't come until 430 years after the promise that God made to Abraham. The promise to Abraham wasn't that people would ever be justified by the law. The promise to Abraham was that all nations would be justified by faith. And Jesus was the promised seed that came as a result of Abraham's faith in what God promised. Today, we are all justified in one way, in one way only. We're all justified before God in one way, in one way only, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to a right relationship before God except through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? Now, a lot of people ask that question, even in our day and age, right? They say, well, then why was the law ever given? And the next thing that verse 19 says here is that it was added because of transgressions. In other words, people will go wild without the law. The Hebrews, who were God's chosen people to ultimately bring forth the Messiah, may have destroyed themselves without the law. The law, as in that sense, right, is a blessing. It was there to keep people alive and to have order and to keep people on the path of decent living. But the law wasn't the ultimate answer. Jesus was and is the ultimate answer. So it says here that the law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. Okay, so the law was by no means a bad thing, but there was a law given, but there was, or excuse me, there, there was never a law given that could ever make a, purchase, a person righteous before God. All that the law can do is prove to us that we are sinners, that we are lawbreakers. So the good thing about the law was that it kept some order in everyday life. It kept transgressions under control until the Messiah would come. But the bad thing about the law was that by it, we know that we are lawbreakers because we have all sinned. And that's what verse 22 points out here. It says, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, so we're getting the point here, right? The promise to Abraham was that in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham received this promise from God through faith not through the keeping of the law. Today, all the nations of the earth, every people, every person on the face of the earth can be justified and blessed before God through faith in Jesus Christ. We today are blessed by simply coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Okay, so we understand this much, right? The law came first, but the law was not the ultimate answer needed. Jesus was the ultimate answer needed. 
God gave the law to the Hebrews to keep them guarded, to keep them on the path, on the right path, and to keep order amongst them. Again, there were over 600 laws, but if you look at the Ten Commandments alone, right, they point us to live in a manner that really makes everything better. Have no other gods before the one true God. Don't kill each other. Honor your father and your mother. Do not commit adultery, just to name a few, right? These are all good, and they help us to keep order in a society, but they were not the answer when it came to the question of how to be made righteous before God. They were just there until Jesus came along. And verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So stop right here. Let me ask you a question. Are we under the law today as it pertains to our standing before God? No, we are not, right? The law was a tutor in place for a time being, but we are not under that law today in the sight of God. The law was given to the Hebrews. All of us are Gentiles. Look back for a moment again at verse 14. Again, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, So these people that Paul was writing to here in the city of Galatia did not have to go back to the ways of the law to be made righteous before God. And none of us here today have to turn to that law in order to be made righteous before God. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, you don't need to start living like a Jewish person in order to be saved. You don't need to start keeping any laws. You don't need to go back to the law. The law is not what makes us righteous. Jesus is the answer to the problem of sin that separated us from God. We are heirs to the promise simply by living through faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's important that we understand that. Again, the law was in place for a period of time until the seed would come. And then we would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we wouldn't be under the law anymore. We would be led by the Spirit now. But what does it look like, though, when a person has received the Spirit of the Lord? How does that person then conduct their lives? Well, I'll answer those questions in just a few moments here, but let's keep going with this topic here that we're on right now. Turn up a page 
or two in your Bibles to chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And let's just start reading in verse 1. This will tag on very well to what we've been discussing thus far. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So again, these people were falling into a bad teaching. They were going backwards to the law and they were not going forward in Christ. And what we need to do, even to this very day, is to press on, go forward in Christ, and not go backwards in the way that we lived before Christ, right? Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law You have fallen from grace. So there we see the definition of a person who has fallen from grace. They have put themselves back under the law in some way, shape, or form. God, through His grace, provided another way to righteousness. The law was never intended to be the answer, just a temporary guard that was in place for a period of time, right? Jesus was the gift of God's grace. God's unconditional love for the world was that He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation simply means a substitute. Jesus took all of the sin of the world upon Himself. We come to Him through faith, and we are made righteous. Be careful not to fall from grace and put yourself back under the law. We have the Spirit of the Lord in us today. And verse 5 says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Right there Paul's saying, in other words, you once understood all of this. What happened? He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. You see, sometimes the problem is as simple as just one person coming along and persuading you to obey some other form of doctrine. And this happens all the time. One person will come along with a little twisted scripture, a little twisted doctrine. And for these people of Galatia here, they were persuaded to turn back to the law. And Paul continues in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Okay, so Paul sometimes is a rabbit trail kind of speaker, but so am I, so I can relate to him well. But he briefly interjects something here, and that is just because you are saved through faith and you are no longer under the law, that does not mean that you are free to sin against one another, right? To the contrary, you should love one another all the more. You now have the Spirit of the Lord in you. God's grace that brought salvation teaches us to live holy lives, to walk in purity, right? To live righteously. A person that doesn't walk in this way is not a person that's been saved by the grace of God at all. And and then Paul continues in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember how we've been talking about the promise of the Spirit that would come to the Gentiles, how the law was in place until the seed came, and then we would receive the promise of the Spirit. So we now have the, the Spirit of the Lord within us. And of course, as having the Spirit of the Lord within us, we're going to walk in a certain way. We're not going to be lawbreakers. We're not going to be people that break the Ten Commandments anyway, because the Spirit of the Lord is in us. In verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you see, if you are a person that has the Spirit of Christ within you, and you are led by the Spirit, again, then the law really doesn't mean anything to us because we're going to live in a righteous manner without worrying about the law because we have the Spirit of the Lord within us. And starting in verse 19, we begin to see a list of all of the ways that um, a saved person and an unsaved person will live. Actually, let's start reading verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so again, you're not under the law, so don't try to be. But if you have the Spirit of the Lord, then you will not live in any of these ways that are listed in verses 19 through 21 there. You don't need no law because the Spirit of the Lord won't lead you to live in any of those ways. And I really encourage you to meditate on those scriptures and see if you fit into any of those categories. Because it's important that we do, that we see where we are in Christ. But here's the good news. The scripture also tells us how we should be living. Starting in verse 22 here, we see that the way that the Spirit of the Lord will lead us to live, right? Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So the law, Paul is saying here, carries no weight at all when those nine things are being lived out in your life on a daily basis. And I encourage you to meditate on those things as well and see where you are at this point in your life and seek the Lord about this. Verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? And there's something else that we all should meditate on as well. What are the things about our flesh that need to be crucified? What passions and desires do we fall into that need to be done away with in our lives? And the way to do away with them is to walk in the things of the Spirit. And verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we see the answer very clearly, don't we? The answer is not the keeping of the law. It is walking in the Spirit. That's the answer. And the Spirit indwells the person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. They, they first decide to repent and to turn to Jesus. Then His Spirit within them teaches them to live in a godly manner. And we have the Scriptures to tell us how to get there. And flipping back now to Exodus chapter 9. I went off on that rabbit trail after reading verse 1 here where God was having Moses tell Pharaoh that he is the Lord God of the Hebrews. And I'm not going to cover any more verses here, but it's kind of how I, I just showing, taking you back to show you how I went off where, where you know, God was having Moses tell Pharaoh that he is the Lord God of the Hebrews. And then I went on to explain to you that God had a plan for the redemption of mankind, that he began with this man named Abraham. It was a, it was a plan of redemption for all of mankind. But he chose these Hebrew people to be the ones through whom the Savior of the world would come. We will see as we continue through Exodus that God will give them the law through this man Moses. But we must keep in mind as we go through this book that the law was not the answer. It was not the end all be all. Jesus is the end-all, be-all. He's our all-in-all. And a right standing before God comes through faith in Jesus and through faith in Jesus alone. The law is not our tutor any longer. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord within us, the fruits of the Spirit within us. And what we, what we will continue to read about as we go through the Old Testament is not the answer for us today. We're just beginning to see what we're doing is we're studying the whole plan of God and we're beginning to see it unfold here in the book of Exodus as we saw in Genesis as well. 
But I wanted to fast forward you in time this morning and and show you and make sure that you understand that the ways of old are not what God ultimately intended for you and me today. Today, we simply need to be in Christ and to have the Spirit of the Lord within us and to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. So even though we only covered one verse of chapter 9 here, I'm going to stop here for today, but there's a lot we can think on. There's a lot we can meditate on. There's a lot we can examine ourselves and say, where are we in Christ and how are we living? And again, we need to be careful. Not There's a lot of doctrines out there today that are trying to take people backwards, back to the law. Different movements that are out there uh, that are trying to distract people away from the truth that is in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Thank you for your spirit who indwells us. Lord, it is your spirit that teaches us, that brings us into remembrance of all things that you said and all that you have done, Lord. It is finished with you, and we thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood, for the remission of our sins. We thank you that we can come to your throne of grace and to find help in time of need. And we thank you that we come to you, Lord, through faith today. We thank you for the measure of faith that you have given to each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that we will all increase in our faith. We will all just continue to grow in the knowledge of your will for our lives. Be glorified within us as we go forward into a new week. Lord, may your will be done in every aspect of our lives as we surrender every aspect of our lives to you. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.